Beaches were often the site of the first contact between indigenous people and European colonizers. When I was at the Organization of American Historians Conference, I interviewed Peter Ferdinando, who has studied a group who called themselves the ICE, spelled A-I-S. He says the ICE used the arrival of colonizers to grow their own sphere of control. And as he discovered, they weren't the only group waiting when the Europeans arrived. The founder of St. Augustine, Pedro Menendez, uh, when he was wrecked on the Florida coast in 1571, it was at dawn that the Ulame, an ice-aligned group, came upon the shipwreck. And Jonathan Dickinson, a, a Philadelphia merchant, it, he recalled it was about eight or nine in the morning that, that the Hobe, another ice-aligned group, came onto the wreck. So they were well aware that on one of the frequent thunderstorm days in, in Florida, yes. there'd be ships driven ashore and you'd have to get there bright and early to control the scene. The early bird gets the worm sort of situation. Now, did they do some of that wrecking intentionally? That would be an interesting question that is not covered so much in the historical record, but when you get into the, the 1800s with the presence of Anglo-Americans in places like Key West, there were always these stories about how they, shall we say, encouraged ships to um, come onto the reefs and then assisted them by lightening the load, and that material never seemed to get back to the ship once they were off the reef. In their daily checks of the shore, they must have come across some survivors, no? Absolutely. How, how did that go? With any of these groups that are practicing, again, this indigenous wrecking process, one of the key things is controlling the scene. And this meant that they would either through actual violence or implied violence, stop the, the castaways from continuing to claim their own goods. The Native Americans were very concerned about what nation you were from. The, they asked the um, Dickinson castaways, are you English or Spanish? They asked the, um, the French castaways, are you English? And when the, the French castaways say, no, 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 we're French and we're good friends with the Spaniards, the Native Americans are fine. And they could never figure out what these issues were with the English. Well, English buccaneers based in the Bahamas are coming down to recover silver from a sunken ship in the Bahamas. And they are raiding the Florida coast to capture aquatically skilled Native Americans as captives to then force them to dive on the sunken Spanish treasure ship. And then a couple of years later, people who are aligned with the English in the Carolina colony are also writing down to capture um, Native American slaves for the Carolina slave market. And so you end up with a clear dislike of the English. But even <laughs> then, uh, you know, Dickinson survives his trip. Many of the other castaways from Iraq do. So their ferocious reputation as these man-eaters, as these cannibals, is very much just that. It's, it's the way they're able to control the scene. Um, there's a whole, there's an aspect in Dickinson where they surround the castaways. Uh, the Native Americans raise their, as Dickinson says, their large Spanish knives. And then they lower their large Spanish knives and say, can you please unlock all your containers and give us all your belongings? Um, and essentially, it's a display to make sure that the castaway is going to be compliant. And they do. They unlock their containers. They give over clothing and their money. And there we go. What are some of the sources you use to tell these truly fascinating stories? 
I actually use a number of sources because my interest in the ice crosses over the, the contact boundary. And for Florida, it would be 1513 with um, Ponce de Leon. But the ice's story starts significantly earlier. And so aspects of the work use archaeological artifacts. Essentially, I, I know more about shells and fish bones than you ever want to know. And then in the contact era, I continue to use archaeology because I look at the distribution of those metal goods especially. You probably didn't guess that I went to Ponce de Leon Junior High School in Carl Gables. Mm -hmm. And we were required to take Florida history. And I learned something about the Seminole Indians. But I never heard a word about the ice. Why is that? This work has kind of lain dormant because you've ha you have to look at the, the Spanish sources, the English sources, um, other Europeans, because you have to incorporate the archaeology, and ultimately because you need a Atlantic focus to truly bring this into a story that shows us, again, how Native Americans were not just people of the landscape, not just people who were going to vanish. My work on the ice in, in Rich from the Sea connects with a wider scope of what's called um, Red Atlantic, the study of native peoples in that wider Atlantic world. And this is something which has only been seen as a, uh, something to study for historians in the last decade or two. I confess that most of what I know about this topic comes from movies. And what you're describing to me sounds much, much more complex. Oh yes, the ice domain of influence includes negotiation with other native peoples in Florida, with the Spaniards in St. Augustine, and with passing European ships. This is a great example of maritime indigenous agency, a chance for Native Americans to be active within what has in the past been viewed as the European colonial world. Spanish Florida remained 80% indigenous Florida, whether it was the Temuco missions along the north or the Calusa domain, especially in the southwest to the Florida Keys, or the ice domain on the central east coast, where the Spaniards were off to the periphery. So it's a chance to reorientate our stories beyond ones of, of mere colonization, of conquest, of disappearance, of vanish, and rather focus on people who remained, who were active, and ultimately tell a far more interesting and engaging story. Peter, thanks so much for joining us on Backstory. Well, thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. Peter Ferdinando is visiting lecturer at the Department of History at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. 